Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Callan FM. With me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. And this week uh, saw the reopening of non-essential retail as part of the coronavirus easing of lockdown measures. And so we thought it would be really interesting opportunity to examine what that actually means for a lot of retail businesses uh, and also for shoppers and what they might be experiencing or what requirements they might need as they start to come out into the high street again. Uh, So we're talking very much about what you need to be doing, what you need to be considering from your staff point of view, from from a customer safety point of view, uh, and also whether there are any opportunities for you as you as you start to reopen. So what sort of things have you come across, Tracy, when you were researching this subject? Well, first of all, just point out that the reopening of non-essential shops is England only at the moment. Of so, course, yes. Yeah, so if you're listening in um, Wales, Scotland, then um, we, we're not talking about the same guidelines. However, in England, non-essential shops can reopen on the 15th of June. So I think we found the same article initially, didn't we? So one from which, which was last weekend, and uh, they're talking about different retailers and what plans they've made to um, open and what sort of social distancing measures they've put in place so I thought that was quite interesting just um, both from a consumer point of view so you could know where you might be able to shop from the 15th of June and also if you're a retailer you might want to get some ideas from what some of these larger retailers are doing so you read it as well didn't you Heather? I did yeah and it's a a really in-depth article it's in in which uh, and it started it as I was reading it, it just started to open up this whole can of worms of things that I'd not really considered. And I think one of the biggest things is that shopping, actually going out to the high street and shopping is actually a kind of leisure activity for a lot of people because you tend to go together or, um, you know, so two people might go out looking for an outfit or for a pair of shoes or to do buy a birthday present or you might go and bimble around a bookshop for a few hours while your partner goes off doing some other type of shopping. So it's actually quite leisure centric rather than your straightforward retail. It's really touchy feely as well, isn't it? When I was reading some of the measures that some of the retailers are taking, for example, I think it's uh, Kurt Geiger, the the shoe retailer. They're planning to quarantine shoes for 24 hours after they're being tried on. Waterstones are are, are talking about taking books off the shop floor for three days after they've been touched by somebody. I mean, and if you think about it, how many books do you actually touch when you're in a bookshop just to flick through them? Yeah, and I think that that, I, I totally understand where they're coming from, of course. But for me, if I went to that shoe shop and saw a pair of shoes that I wanted to try on, I'd want to be pretty certain that I was going to buy them before I would trouble them with trying them on. Yeah. Because because it would be, now luckily for me, I've got size eight feet. So it's usually, you know, the size fours and fives and sixes that are on display. But that's by the by. I'd, and with books, you know, I'd be less likely to pick a book up unless I was pretty certain I was going to buy it. So that in itself, in 
impacts on the, the whole retail experience, I guess. Yeah. Let's have a look at some of the shops that have made some um, inroads into preparing to reopen. Uh, Debenhams apparently have negotiated deals with its landlords, allowing them to reopen most of its 142 uh, stores in June. And bear in mind, we've mentioned this a few weeks ago, that Debenhams have actually fallen into administration. Obviously, this is coming at a time for them... Um, which is quite tricky, but they're managing to open the stores to keep the business going. Uh, John Lewis is planning a phased reopening, and they're just starting with two stores on the 15th of June. They won't bother us here up in, in the northwest. They're in Poole and Kingston, and they're um, going to open another 11 three days later. So I think uh, the sort of scene is set here next to doing the same. They're reopening 25 stores on the 15th of June just with the larger stores. And they say it's because the larger stores allow them uh, to do social distancing more easily. And I, and I think that's the big thing. I mean, I did see, um, hellish, it must have been hellish, IKEA, the queues for people to get to go in. Um, now, an IKEA store is massive, isn't it? I know you end up shuffling around in, you know, like a little crowd, but it's a sunny day and queuing is, is you know it is possible but for the smaller um you know little um new little um independence that's not necessarily going to be as easy because how much of the pavement space outside can you take up with queuing customers before you're bumping into the queuing customers for the shop next door so some challenges there you may be thinking uh, why is ikea open because it's not the 15th of june but actually uh Homeware stores have been classed as essential retail. Mm-hmm. Um, this was changed on the 13th of May. Um, IKEA's reopened. Uh, Dunelm opened stores, uh, 39 stores. Uh, Furniture Village has opened its entire network of 52 branches. Uh, they did that on the 23rd of May. So although they were allowed to be open, some shops closed until they felt it was safe so that they could implement social distancing and I don't think that's a bad thing giving themselves space and time to just think right okay how is this going to work the likes of DFS I wonder if their sales ended at all Um, (laughs) is it a bank holiday weekend (laughs) well they opened three branches on the 22nd of May so uh, just before the bank holiday and they opened a few more last weekend as well so um, DIY shops again um, there there have been a few of those open already but Wix has now joined B&Q and Homebase the DIY chains closed down initially but started to open up anyway Um, and garden centres are allowed to open as well now so a couple of things that I found, I saw an article in the Retail Gazette uh, where they're talking very much from, from the business point of view and from the business owner's point of view. I mean, basically, they say that, you know, retailers have been told to make every effort to comply with social distancing. Uh, and where this is not possible, then there are things that they need to put in place to reduce the amount of social contact between staff as much as between staff and customers Um, and there were a couple that just stood out I mean a lot of them are you know are fairly straightforward and and fairly obvious and are already being put in place but one that I thought was really interesting uh, applying additional parking or bike racks to encourage employees to travel to work without using public transport because a lot of people by definition 
in a retail area probably will be able to access some means of public transport to get to work. So that that's the thing that as an employer might not be a, something that you can fix in a day. You know, you, you need to put it in place. And also they talked about where organisations have uh, staff canteens because lots of cafes are closed, obviously, and pubs and bars and food outlets to limit the um, number of minutes that are held and stagger break times and for there to be packaged meals distributed rather than opening up the staff canteen, you know, for the full blown pie and mash on a Friday or whatever it might be. So a couple of really interesting ones there. Yeah. What what did you what else did you come across, Tracy? Well, there's a, a great article in the Financial Times. This one's looking a bit beyond the immediate opening and, and actually how the pandemic can um, Im- be imposing some permanent changes on retailers that extend beyond the end of the social distancing rules. Um, There was a recent survey that found that 43% of Britons would feel uncomfortable shopping anywhere other than in supermarkets at the moment. And over a quarter of the respondents in the survey said that uh, the crisis would permanently change the way they shopped. And um, rather worryingly, one senior retail executive is quoted in this article as saying, There are between three and five million people currently furloughed in the UK. A lot of them are actually unemployed. They just don't know it yet, which is quite a chilling message, really. But, you know, it's probably not a surprising message. But, yeah, it is worrying. Of course, the government has issued uh, guidance around all of these measures uh, via the gov.uk website. I think what was quite interesting, apart from retail, which obviously is a very important um, sector, they've actually got guides around if you work in the uh, area of construction or outdoor work, factories, plants and warehouses, labs and research facilities, uh, offices and contact centres, other people's homes. That's quite an important one. Um, restaurants offering takeaway or delivery. And then, of course, shops and branches that, we, that we've talked about. Uh, so, uh, oh, and also one that I, I can read, I really struggle to get my head around is if you work from a vehicle or in a vehicle, often there'll be two or three people working in a vehicle. How does that all work? Um, so really useful guidance. And um, we will put a link to that. Uh, so all of the government guidance and the articles that we've talked about on our website, which is the business.community. You're listening to the business community on Cal on FM. And in other news, I just wanted to give a shout out for an online event, which is part of the At Home with the Four Indies series. We've talked about this a few times, but it's been a really, really good initiative. And I've listened to some great talks even by people I didn't have a clue who they were beforehand. And I've I've listened because I I had a a spare hour, sat back in the garden and was absolutely fascinated by different people's stories. Um, The one that I'm really, really looking forward to and I want to give a shout out to uh, for is Caroline Criado Perez is talking about her book, Invisible Women. We mentioned this on the show previously, um, and it's an absolutely fabulous and fascinating book. And she's talking on a Facebook Live video hosted by At Home with the Four Indies on Wednesday, the 17th of June at 8 p.m. So even if you don't get a chance to see it live, 
then um, it's worth trying to catch up with it on their Facebook page as well. And you'll find there's a whole host of other ones. Even if you don't recognise the name, have a listen. You might find something brand new that takes your fancy. And my other bit of news, I've obviously been looking at the ONS again for their coronavirus and social impact report. The latest one's dated the 29th of May, and I'll just run through some of the main findings of the report this week. So uh, the report says that more people have left their home this week uh, compared to last week. 90% of adults have said they have left their home for any reason compared with 86% last week. The most common reasons for leaving home continue to be the same, which is essential shopping, exercise, work and medical need. However, leaving to meet with others in a public place has seen the largest increase this week, which is not surprising. Over four in ten adults who had left their home had visited a park or a public green space this week. And 36% of these said they'd met with family or friends from outside their household. Uh, over one in three adults in employment said they had left their home to travel to and from work in the past seven days, which is similar to last week. And almost three in 10 adults said they felt unsafe or very unsafe when outside their home this week, which is compared to four in 10 the previous week. And three in 10 adults reported that they'd used face coverings outside their home in the past week, most commonly whilst shopping. Though I've not used the face covering yet, Heather, have you? No, I haven't. Um, and I think we'll probably get to a point where it will be socially unacceptable not to be wearing a face mask or a face covering, I think is what, because, you know, the full on face masks they're saying should be preserved for those who work in a high risk environment where um, they need protective PPE. Whereas we can probably manage with one of the paper masks or the fabric masks that people seem to be making um, in all sorts of beautiful designs. It's quite a thing now, I think. It, it, yeah, in fact, I saw somebody today who's making them with matching hair bands for those whose hair is growing a little bit longer than they'd like during the lockdown. So, um, yeah. So we'll both great, be getting they? them, won't we? <laughs> well, yeah, oh, I'm getting them. I'm going to get a woolly hat. <laughs> it's it's lovely when you find a story that isn't related to the current situation. So um, I saw an article about MSN, uh, the the Microsoft news portal. Uh, they, in 2014, stopped producing their own stories and started using editors um, to select, adapt and highlight stories that are being generated out you know, by Reuters and the likes of this, this world. But at the end of June, uh, the Seattle Times reported that, uh, that Microsoft will again change the way that they compile their news. They're going to lay off about 50 employees and place them with artificial intelligence algorithms that will identify the best stories, rewrite the titles and find the best photos, effectively automating most of the tasks that had been performed by humans previously. Uh, the, the article says that the decision will send shivers down the spine of many publishing industry professionals who've been worried about budget cuts and increasing automation. You know, the, the, the paper press 
um, has really been struggling in recent years. Uh, and, you know, if this is yet another swinging cut, then um, a lot of journalists are going to be a little bit nervous. So one to watch there. We've talked a lot about AI. You know, who, who knew that this would be this would be a thing? It certainly didn't occur to me. And then one other uh, story that I noticed um, this month, um, we've just had the 50th anniversary of the Equal Pay Act, uh, which we've talked about in the past. And the gender pay gap reporting that came in uh, where organisations are being encouraged to declare, nay, forced to declare what the gap between male and female pay is for those who are doing the same job. And it suggests that um, there's been a reduction in the number of firms that are reporting on the on this information. OK, they may have been slightly distracted, but I think um, I think that, you know, potentially if we take our eye off the ball with this, then there's going to be um, a legacy problem as we go forward. So um, some interesting uh, stuff around that from some research that was bizarrely conducted by business in the community, not the business community. Um, so I'll put a link to that and um, and each of the other news items that we've discussed uh, on the website, thebusiness.community. Our book review this week is inspired by our topical subject. And we thought we'd have a look around and see what books there were about retail. We came across this cracking little book. It's called When Humans Stop Shopping by David Kerrigan. And the premise of the book is essentially that people have stopped shopping the way that we've they used to, which we've just mentioned in the topical discussion. And I think this was probably written before um, COVID, but I think we'd already been talking about changes to retail and to the high street before that anyway. Um, but now I think that the changes have been put under a magnifying glass because these changes have either happened more quickly or are going to happen more deeply than originally thought. And so David Kerrigan says that the next few years will see dramatic, further dramatic changes as humans stop shopping altogether, which sort of ties into your MSN writing the news stories. Yeah. Um, the idea is that um, humans will let algorithms make their purchase decisions for them. It's, it's just another thing for retailers to be thinking about. There's trends at the moment of sustainability. There's rentals and the second-hand market. There's the move to online shopping, which we talked about previously, which is actually going to grow by a third this year, according to the experts. So the idea that AI is going to get involved suddenly doesn't seem quite so bizarre as it might have done previously. Did you like the book, Heather? I did like the book. However, and I, I always say this, I'm quite predictable. I had to read it on the Kindle. And I, I absolutely loathe reading books like this on the Kindle because I want to put my post-it notes in and, you know, mark the pages and things like that. So I, I really struggle. I don't know. It's just, I don't know. It's a mental block I've got with the Kindle. However, um, we mentioned that the reason we read it on the Kindle is that it's it was at the time current uh, available on Kindle Unlimited, so we could read it for free. So that that's yes. the reason. 
that was our motivation yes uh but if you dear listener uh, want to buy a copy of the book it is available in paperback version for 19.99 and i would say that if you work in retail if i if i worked in retail if my business was retail uh, whether online or on the high street i think this would be a really useful book because he talks about trends he talks a lot about generation x generation y you know what motivates people to buy now something we talk about a lot that he covers in this book is the uh, what motivates people to buy what interests uh, what interest people have when they're looking at an organization to buy from and there's an actual there's a table um, from a study done by Accenture about what attracts you to buy from certain brands over others beyond price and quality the brand is important transparency of the company is important the way it treats employees is really important and their environmental uh, policies and um, sustainability is really important and i think that that's something that you know we have covered in the past it is becoming more and more relevant as that generation move forward and, and and we've got these these younger people who are more discerning even though they're attached to their brands so they like their designer labels but there's more pressure for those to be ethical sustainable etc so i thought that was really interesting I think it, it's a good book. It, it claims to offer advice for retailers on how to prepare for what's coming, but also outlines how consumers can utilise technology to find and interact with retailers. But one other thing that really stood out for me, I highlighted this one, put a big ring around this one on my Kindle, is how much money is spent on personal consumption. More than $1 trillion is spent every month on personal consumption. It's incredible, isn't it? $1 trillion every month. That's absolutely mad, isn't it? And yeah. uh, a little less than half of that is spent on products at retail stores and online. And according to the EU, some research done in the EU, Europeans spend between 17 and 35 minutes every day on shopping and personal services. Blimey, that is quite a stat. One thing that, uh, that I, I did just want to mention is that there was a really interesting part of the book uh, where he talks about um, clothing. Uh, there were, anybody who watches The Sewing Bee, there, were, there was an amazing statistic quoted on The Sewing Bee the other night that, you know, there's enough, there are enough clothes on the planet to clothe the next six generations or something, you know, bonkers, completely bonkers. Um, and it was talking about landfill and, you know, how clothing is is almost disposable um but he talks about the emergence of people used in charity shops whereas once upon a time that was frowned upon now it's much more acceptable uh, and also clothing rental where you rent clothes you wear them once or twice and then you send them back and although that sounds a bit bonkers to start with they said that often somebody will buy a piece of clothing wear it once or twice hang it in the wardrobe and then in a big clear out will throw it away unless that goes to a charity shop then that is going to landfill uh, but if you if you rent stuff these uh, these garments are getting worn about 30 or 40 times and then they go to a charity shop or they go back into the textile industry so i thought it was really really interesting something that hadn't even occurred to me 
So I think all in all, we can recommend this book, um, if, particularly if you're in retail. Uh, I was fascinated by it. I don't know if not being in retail myself at the moment, whether I would fork out the 20 quid for it myself. I'm glad I've got it on Kindle Unlimited. But I think if you're interested in retail or even in the supply chain involved in retail, I would say it's almost essential reading. Um, so it's it's called When Humans Stop Shopping. The author is David Kerrigan. And I just want to finish this section with a, a little paragraph from here just to help you to understand the scale of what retail industry is facing. He says consumers will stop shopping in the ways we're familiar with, in the places we expect, at the times we're used to. They'll stop shopping in the ways that our stores, supply chains and cities are built for. In some cases, the stark reality of the future is that humans won't shop anymore. They'll delegate shopping to their digital assistants. The future of retail will be about understanding and meeting consumer needs on their terms, rather than stacking items and hoping they find and buy them. Now, if you needed any reason to buy this book and have a read, I think that paragraph pretty much sums it up. We'll put a link for that on our website, thebusiness.community. You're listening to The Business Community on Calon FM. And our profile this week is not just one person. Oh, no. Oh, no. We're really going for it this, this week. Not two people. No, no. We've got a whole dynasty. The dynasty in question is the Western family. And you Western spelt W-E-S-T-O-N. And they don't exist just in the UK. Oh, no, they're Canada and Ireland. They are a global powerhouse of people who are now on the Sunday Times Rich List. So the headline is the family behind Selfridges and Primark shoot into the UK's top 10 rich list, which is not normally a place where you see retailers. This family are behind Selfridges and Primark, and they're the only billionaires in retail to have landed a spot in the top 10 on this year's Sunday Times rich list. So we thought it was only right to have a look at how they've done this. And Let's what talk figures though, Heather. The family okay. is worth an estimated fortune of £10.53 billion. And that's not, that's partly not, it's not just Selfridges and Primark. They own Fortnum and Mason and they all own Heels. It's big bucks. And it seems like pretty much everybody in the family that is of employable age works somewhere within this this machine uh, who there's so many of them and some of them have got quite random names who caught your eye tracy i started off by looking at the very first western in this dynasty he's not the first western ever but he's the one that founded george western limited so this is george western born in 1864 he had six children and he was a canadian businessman and he became Toronto's biggest baker with Canada's largest bread factory. And he started work at the age of 12 as a baker's apprentice, went on the road to become a bread route salesman. And by the turn of the century, he was known throughout the city for his Weston's homemade bread and for Weston's biscuits. There isn't much about this guy on the surface, however, as always, 
there's plenty to find out in the obituary and the Toronto Daily Star noted he'd had a busy life of various accomplishments. He died in 1924, hence the, the uh, language. He was successful from the start, full of dynamic energy. Mr. Weston was first baker, delivery man and bookkeeper. He originated the homemade loaf, which achieved great popularity. And by 1911, when he disposed of his interest in the Canada Bread Company, his business had assumed immense proportions. So that's the start. And there's plenty more in between and current at the moment. So I've got a, a current one that caught my eye, but you tell me who you've got first. Well, I started doing a bit of nosing around various websites and I came across I looked at I looked at various members of the family and, and you know it's the great grandson of this person and the you know the twice removed cousin of that person blah 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 but got the way through to their cousin Alana Weston was promoted from deputy chair to chair of the Selfridges group uh, and she replaces her father uh, Galen Weston um, but he remains on the board anyway I digress there was an, uh, an interview that she gave to Retail Week uh, where she was talking very much about sustainability for the retail sector. She was talking about how, and we've mentioned this in the past, how retailers who are innovative will survive. She talked about the, uh, the more discerning customer who is interested in the sustainability, um, the lack of single-use plastics, uh, micro beads in cosmetics etc and she talks a lot about how Selfridges their bags are made from recycled materials they've got use of single-use plastics etc so I thought she was really interested and it was it was very fitting with what we were talking about and what we've talked about in the past uh, and she came across as a you know quite quite a smiley soft-spoken slightly Canadian woman but I wouldn't want to mess with her but um, she was saying all the right things in terms of what you might want somebody to be saying if they're running a, a, a big machine like Selfridges. So, uh, yeah, interesting lady, I think. I've actually seen inside her house, um, actually in an article in Homes and Properties, nothing, I wasn't stalking her or anything. Um, and they, Homes and Property did a feature on luxury interiors and featured about six or seven photographs of inside her Kensington home. That's about all the research I did on her, but it was a very nice looking house. I do like looking around other people's houses. <laughs> uh, I focused on another lady, uh, Hilary Weston. Now she's the wife of Galen Weston, who's the current head of the family. Uh, she's a fascinating la lady, former model who invented the Primark label. She owns Brown Thomas, which is um, a department store in Ireland. She went on to become the lieutenant, lieutenant, I'm not sure how to pronounce it for Canada, um, the lieutenant governor for Ontario. And she's worked alongside her husband, Galen, for five decades. She's quite a woman. So she was born Hilary Frayne in Dunleary in 1942. And she had a modelling career, which began in the 1950s and uh, continued into the 1960s. 
And the story goes that she was spotted by a young Galen Weston, a young, fabulously wealthy Canadian man. How nice. And he'd come to Dublin at the age of 21 to escape from a domineering father and to make his own way in the world. His father, who was Garfield Weston, had refused to pay for his travels. However, a Northern Irish grandmother, good old Eliza Wally, stepped in and offered him a hundred grand to go to Ireland to set up a business there. So thank you very much, grandmother. The article, which is in the Irish Times, made me smile at this point. It said, if there were any assumptions that the young model would turn trophy wife, they were quickly dispelled. <laughs> I like that. So when Galen ploughed on with developing the Powers supermarket chain, um, which later evolved into Quinsworth and which incidentally introduced the first avocados to Ireland. Who knew all this? My goodness. <laughs> His wife, Hilary Weston, moved from modelling into fashion retail and found herself in charge of a couple of Irish institutions. So when Galen bought Todd Burns as a chain of Irish department stores, that evolved into Primark, followed by luxury department store Brown Thomas. And she went on um, to develop the fashion departments of both of those firms. And according to Galen, in an interview with the Irish Times, Hillary has always been key to his business interests from the very early days of their marriage. Um, she was, he says, the great seamstress who could make all of her own clothes, who ran the cut machine and trim business that stopped the first penny store in Mary Street. That was Hillary's operation, that private label. And that is where Primark got its original name and brand. So quite clearly, he thinks very highly of his wife. Um, he also uh, gave her the Brown Thomas store as a wedding present. And apparently his father, yes, apparently his father had given his mother Fortnum and Masons early on in their marriage. So it's just a family tradition. <laughs> There's no doubt that they're a very wealthy family. The companies that, that we've mentioned, are they come under the umbrella of Whittington Investments. Uh, but that organisation is 79% owned by the Garfield Western Foundation, which is a family-founded grant-making foundation that supports a wide range of causes across the UK. Every year they donate about £80 million. It was set up in 1958 by the Western family and has donated over a billion pounds in total to charities within the UK. Um, and in my capacity as a trustee of a local charity, we have benefited from uh, their support for arts community projects. So um, it's not just, you know, they, they'll seek out even the, and, and grant funding to even the smallest of charities. I feel more comfortable about them having all of this great wealth when you consider that most of it is owned by this this amazing foundation uh, and their website it, itself is really interesting just to look at what they do who they partner with um, and information about the various trustees so i think that's about all we've got time for this week um we will apologize if there are any gremlins in the sound we uh, as usual are recording this via zoom um so there may be a couple of crackles but uh, hopefully uh, that won't detract from your enjoyment of this week's show but we will be back next week with more news views and reviews from the world of business
You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. Join us again next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business.